Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're excited to be coming to you through this platform today. We hope that your heart is encouraged, that your faith is stirred by what God speaks to you today. God bless you. Enjoy the message. So we've been talking about now you eat. We've been talking about what it means to be in community and the way that Jesus used food all throughout scripture to gather people together and sit people down together. And we're gonna keep leaning into that today. And today we are gonna start with a sunrise breakfast on the beach. All right, come on. Now I haven't really experienced very many sunrise breakfasts in my life because that's not really traditionally my prime time of the day. I've had a few. I've had a few sunrise breakfasts. Most of my sunrise breakfasts have been with the one and only Philip Christopher Ryburn because he loves an early morning. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the first sunrise breakfasts I had is when Phil and I had only been dating for a few, I think a few weeks, maybe a month. And he said, hey, I want us for a date to go to this social justice conference, which really tells you a lot about who we are because I was like, that sounds awesome. Great date. Let's go to an all day social justice conference. And he said, great. It starts at 7 a.m. and it's about an hour and a half away. So I'll pick you up at 5.30 in the morning. And I was like, oh, come again. And you can see we'd only been dating for a few weeks because I was like, yeah, I'll be ready, but I'm going to need some breakfast and coffee on the way. And then we rode in the car for like 45 minutes until he stopped for breakfast and coffee. And I was like, oh no, when I said I meant coffee, I meant like immediately after I get in the car, I expected you to show up with the coffee in the car. But we've sorted that part of our relationship out since then. Uh, I had another sunrise breakfast with Phil Ryburn when we were volunteering together at a place called Christmas Island, helping people who um, were uh, stuck in a detention center, helping run activities and things for them. And the place where it was was a beautiful place. So he said, I have a great idea. Let's get up tomorrow morning and have a sunrise breakfast. I was like, all right, Let's do that. I think sunsets are beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, sunsets don't get enough credit. But we got up and we got a sunrise breakfast. And then the last one that Phil and I got together was on the day that we got engaged. He took me out on this beautiful hot air balloon. And then we had this beautiful sunrise breakfast overlooking these vineyards in Australia. It was absolutely gorgeous. I know, what a guy. And now we've been married, and I don't know that we've had any sunrise breakfasts. <laughs> it's the kids. No, I blame it on me. Like, I'm like, I'm not coming to that anymore. But I had one other sunrise breakfast in my life. And the other sunrise breakfast, which did not include Phil, was when I was in college. I was in college for a while in Virginia. And when I was in college in Virginia, I lived about two hours away from Virginia Beach. And I had been up with some friends all night, late into the night. And then someone said, we should go to the beach and get breakfast on our way and watch the sunrise. If we leave now, we can make it in time. And when you're like 19 or 20, that sounds like an awesome idea. And so we jumped in the car and we drove for two hours and we picked up breakfast and we made it to the beach, to the shore, just in time to watch the sunrise. And we ate our breakfast as the sun rose. And then we got to sleep all day. 
because that's what you can do when you're like 19 years old. That is the way that I catch a sunrise. Is not because I've woken up so early in the morning, but because I've stayed up so late the night before that I'm like, well, I might as well stay up and see the sunrise now at this point. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is that I want to turn to a passage of scripture where Peter has been up all night long and he's getting ready to get to have a sunrise breakfast with Jesus on the beach. So if you'll turn with me, we're going to start in John chapter 21. God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the words that you've spoken to me, God. I thank you that, that you have spoken to me in preparation, God. And I ask you to speak to your people today. Let it take deep root in our lives. Let us change us. Let it draw us closer to you. Let us see more of who you are by what happens here today. We believe that it matters. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in John 21, Peter is getting a bit of a setup, really, because Jesus is coming back to him, and he's drawing him in with this meal, because Jesus has just died and been resurrected, but something happened in the gap of time between the last time he and Peter were together. The last time he and Peter were together, he told Peter, you're going to deny me three times in the midst of all of the chaos, in the midst of all of the shaking. You're not going to be quite as stable as you're going to hope you're going to be, Peter. And of course, Peter denies it with all of his classic Peter audacity. If you were here a couple Thursdays ago, we touched on this a little bit, that Peter says, absolutely not, I would never deny you. But then, of course, when you argue with Jesus, you always end up wrong. And Peter does exactly what Jesus said he was going to do, and he denies Jesus three times in the course of Jesus' trial. And so now Jesus has resurrected, and he's returned, and he's been revealing himself to his disciples. But Peter is still out on the boat fishing. He's gone back to the very thing that God called him out of when he said, come on, don't be a fisher of men anymore. I'm calling you to be a disciple. But Peter's gone back to it because he knows that he's denied Jesus. He knows that he's messed up. He knows that he has made a mistake. And this is where Jesus finds him. In John 21, Jesus said, come and have breakfast with me. And none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? For they knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And when he did, the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember, Simon is a a name for Peter. They often had two names. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And Jesus said it again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to me, How annoying is it when you have to ask someone something, the same thing three times? Or when someone keeps asking, you're like, I've answered this question already. And Jesus is leaning into Peter for a third time. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all of these things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. 
Because while Jesus was away, Peter had gotten himself a little bit distracted from what God had called him to. See, God had called him not to be a fisherman in the sea anymore. He had called him to be a fisherman of men, and he had taught him exactly how to do it. And he had walked with him for three years and shown him exactly what he needed him to do. But Peter had gotten a little bit distracted as he felt unqualified and disqualified from the thing that God had called him to. And so to draw him back in, Jesus comes and meets him right where he is. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for a God who comes and meets us right where we are, especially when we've gotten off track, especially when we've wandered a little bit, especially when we're feeling unqualified and unworthy to come into his presence. You have to wonder what Peter was thinking about himself, the words he was saying to himself in this season that no one else was saying to him, but in his mind, he started telling himself how unqualified he was, how he'd messed it up so bad, there's no way Jesus would call him back into it, that all those words that had been spoken over him must not count anymore because he had broken this trust, because he had let these things come out of his mouth. But in spite of it, Jesus came and found him right where he was. And he calls him up onto the beach to have breakfast with him. And when he calls him up onto the beach to have breakfast with him, Jesus is doing something important because he's creating a moment in Peter's life. We see that once again, Jesus isn't just gonna run by and say, hey, Peter, by the way, all of that stuff is okay. I know, and don't worry about it, let's go. No, because Peter was a guy of action. If we read the Gospels, we know about Peter, that he wasn't a sit-back kind of guy. He wasn't a lean-on-your-heels kind of guy. He was the one who, when Jesus came to get taken away, jumped for his sword and started hacking at people. Peter was ready to go. But when Peter messed up, his ready-to-go actions drove him in the wrong direction. He said, I can't just sit here and do nothing. I can't just sit here and wonder what would have happened. So the only thing I know to do is to go back to what God called me out of. And what have you wandered back to that God has called you out of? Because you think you messed up. Because you think that you broke it. Because you think that you're unqualified. And so instead of taking an anchoring moment in your life, you've just gone back to the last best thing you've known instead of pressing forward to the next best thing that God has for you. So Jesus comes and finds him where he is. And he says, Peter, come have breakfast with me. Because when we gather around a meal, it creates a pausing moment in our life. It creates an anchoring moment in our life that says, don't just run on to the next thing without thinking about what's happened. Don't just run on to the next action because you feel like you have to be moving because that feeling of moving makes you feel like you're making progress even though you're not doing anything. You're moving in the wrong direction because you didn't stop to consider what Jesus is saying to you in this moment. And he calls him to breakfast. And when we gather together around meals, they become anchoring moments in our life. They become anchoring moments where we have to pause and we have to consider what is happening right now. Am I moving in the right direction? Am I running in the right path? Are my hands building or are they just making themselves busy? 
where am I going? Phil and I used to consistently, after the night shift, in a different season, talking about knowing your season, consistently after the night shift, we would go out on a Thursday night with friends and leave service and go and sit together. And it became an anchoring moment in our week where we would sit and say, what's going on with you? Or what's going on in your life? Or how did that word settle into our hearts? When families gather around a table Don't let it become lost. Don't let it become routine. Don't let it become just a thing we get to or just meals set out that everyone can grab. The meal is not just about getting the food into your body so your body has physical calories to burn and can keep functioning. Because nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. He says, yes, you need to get the calories into your body, but I've designed it in a way that I want you to come and I want you to sit together and create an anchoring moment in your day, in your week, in your life to sit down and look at one another and say, how are you doing? Why are you doing? Is that moving you towards purpose? Is that moving you towards the plan of God? Are the steps and the actions and the things that you're doing moving you in the direction that God has spoken over your life? Or are you just running on to the next thing because you're not really sure? Our meals create anchoring moments. And Jesus is anchoring Peter back to the thing that he had called him from. And he says, come up here and sit with me and eat with me. And let me remind you that you have been restored, that my work of the cross restored everything that you will do and everything that you have done. And if you forgot about it, Peter, I knew you were going to deny me before you denied me. And I went to the cross anyway. So it's already finished. You are already brought back in to relationship. And he begins to restore Peter in this moment. But as he restores Peter, he's not just restoring him, he's also reminding him of what he called him to do, of the plans and the purpose that he had for him. He's reminding Peter, I've already taught you to do the thing that I'm calling you to do now. See, sometimes it doesn't feel like we know what to do. He's telling Peter, I called you to feed my sheep. I called you to feed my sheep and I taught you to feed my sheep. And now is the time, Peter, for you to go and to feed my sheep. And it doesn't feel like you know how to do what I've called you to do. You don't feel like you know how to apply the thing that I've called you to because I've taught it to you. But if you never move from the taught moment into the applied moment, you feel like you don't know how to do what God has called you to do. But God said, Peter, I called you. And then I walked you along with me and I taught you. And in the midst of teaching you, it's now time for you to move forward. And in this space in between, you feel like you've been unqualified. And so you've gone back to way before I even called you. And in this space in between, you think you don't really know if you've gotten what I taught you how to do. But if you never take the thing that you've been taught and move it into the thing that you're now doing, you'll never know that you actually have what God gave to you. And he's telling Peter, now is the time. Tell somebody, now we eat. God has been teaching you, and he's been showing you, and he's been walking with you, and he's been demonstrating it, but it wasn't for you to hold on to, Peter. It wasn't for you to just say, oh, I've seen Jesus do miracles. It was for you to now take it and to feed my sheep with it. 
and he's calling Peter into his season of application. And he's saying, I know what it feels like to feel like you don't know how to do it, but you'll never know that you know how to do it unless you take that same faith that stepped you outside of the boat, Peter, and now step into the very thing you were called to do. So let's look at what Jesus taught him. We see it in Matthew 14. If you want to turn to Matthew 14, this is the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's a miracle that Jesus performs. It's a miracle. It's the only miracle besides the resurrection itself that shows up in all four of the canonical gospels. All four of them decide that this miracle is worth repeating. That there's something that happened when Jesus took the bread and the fish and he divided them that was worth repeating and making sure that everyone knew about. What has happened right before we got here is that John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the declarer that the kingdom is at hand and it's time to follow what Jesus is doing, has just been beheaded. And Jesus and his disciples are trying to get away. They have had some bad news. This is not a good season for them. It's not a good moment for them. It's not a time of celebration for them. And in Matthew 14 and 13 is where we'll pick it up. You can turn there if you want to follow along or we have it on the screens. If you want to look up later, I chose Matthew for us to look at today. You can look it up in Mark 6, in Luke 9, and in John 6 as well. If you want to read it later and compare what happens. Starting in Matthew 14 and 13, it says, Now Jesus heard what had happened to John the Baptist, and he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples replied, We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And they answered him, And bring them to me, he said. And he directed the people and sat to sit down in the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Jesus takes this moment and he takes it as an opportunity to start to teach his disciples something. Because he knows that he's not going to be with them for very much longer. He knows that he's not going to be with them forever. And he knows that he's called them to then be the ones who are feeding people on his behalf, who are distributing the word of the gospel on his behalf. And he says, this is how we do it. 
because nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. He says, yes, I have this moment to perform this miracle to demonstrate that I am the divine God, but I also have this moment to demonstrate this miracle to show you how I expect you to carry on when I leave, to teach you some things about what it is I'm putting inside of your hand, to begin to teach you to walk in my ways. And the first thing that he's teaching them is he's teaching them how to be moved with compassion. It says that he was moved with compassion for the people despite the fact that Jesus has just heard that his cousin is dead. Despite the fact that he is in sorrow. Despite the fact that he is dealing with something of his own and he's actually trying to literally get away and hide away and come into a time of seclusion and deal with his own sorrow. It says the people chased after him when they heard where he was going and instead of sending them away, instead of being frustrated that they would follow him, instead of being annoyed that the people were running after him, it says Jesus' heart was moved with compassion for them. And so he turned and he healed them and he taught them anyway. And what he's trying to teach the disciples is that there are going to be seasons when you don't feel like it. And there are going to be seasons when your heart is heavy. And there are going to be seasons of loss in your own life. And there are going to be seasons when you wish you could just get away and hide. But if you are going to feed my people, Peter, I need you to have a heart that is filled with compassion. I need you to have a heart that is moved for others. I don't know if you've ever received help from someone else only to find out later that they really had something going on in their own life at the same time. Like someone came and helped you move and then you found out later that their kid was sick or their parent was sick and they were dealing with that. You found out that they had just lost a job and they weren't sure what was going on but they showed up to volunteer anyway. And you find out after the fact and you think, I can't believe that they did that for me anyway. I can't believe that they came anyway. And the way that it speaks to you about their care for your relationship, the way it speaks to you and makes you feel supported and loved and secure. Jesus is saying, I need those kind of disciples, disciples who come up outside of themselves. It doesn't take a lot of maturity to sit around and say, I've had a bad day today. Let me tell everyone about how terrible my life is, about all of the things that are going on, about how weak I feel, about how disheartened I feel, about how difficult my day has been, about how unhappy I am with my situation and what's going on. It doesn't take a lot of maturity to do that. It takes some mature disciples who are moved with compassion, who can say, you know what, yes, this isn't working out how I want it to. Yes, this isn't going exactly how I thought it was going to go. Yes, this over here isn't where it's going to be lined up in my life, but that doesn't change the fact that this person over here needs something that I can get to them. That doesn't change the fact that I can be moved with compassion for your situation. We can live our lives inwardly, selfishly focused, only saying, this is the thing that I'm dealing with. Or we can live our lives as big people in the presence of God, walking around saying, I have an answer to what's going on. And I'm going to be moved with compassion. Not moved with sympathy that says, that's so bad. I'm so sorry for you. Not moved with guilt 
that says maybe I'll feel better if I get to kind of step out in this way, if I kind of deal with this, it'll make me feel better to go volunteer for a half hour and then I can say I'm a good person. Not moved by guilt, not moved by striving, but moved with compassion that says I can see what you need and I'm gonna let myself be moved. I'm gonna let myself feel that deep enough to lean into it. There used to be a term, there is a term in pastoral studies and pastoral care called compassion fatigue. You get so used to caring for other people, to leaning into other people that you become numb to it in an unhealthy way. Not in a way where you learn how to carry it, but in a way where someone can tell you something awful and you're like, yeah, bad stuff happens. Deal with your life and you just move on. And it used to be something that clergy dealt with, that counselors dealt with, that we had to be aware of and that they had all kinds of ways of how to carry those things in a healthy way and still be able to be moved and drawn towards somebody. I think as a society, we have compassion fatigue because we hear about so much and we see so much and there's so much coming in front of us and it's not that the world is getting worse and worse, it's that we're getting better and better at sharing information and that means sharing great information and it means sharing negative information. And our feeds become so full and we start eating so much on the negativity, on the difficult things that are happening, that we allow our hearts to be numb to the things and the people that God is actually drawing us towards. We have to guard against allowing our hearts to become hardened. And we do that in his presence. We say, God, who are you drawing me towards? Who have you brought into my life today? Who are you walking me next to? And let your heart feel what it must be like to be in that situation. Let your heart be stirred and be moved with compassion. Jesus is demonstrating to his disciples what it's like to be so moved with compassion that you can step outside of yourself. Philippians 2 and 3 says it this way, consider others above yourself. Don't think about me first, think about others and what I can do in this situation. And he's teaching them what it means to be the solution. Phil and I were reflecting recently on one of our first like real leadership lessons that we learned. Several years ago, we had been gone uh, away from here for a, a kind of an extended period of time. We went and did, I think, like a month or five weeks with some of our churches in Mexico. And then from there, we went and spent some time with family in Australia. We had some family events going on. So we'd been gone for a couple months by the time we got back. And we were trying to stay connected. This is several years ago. And at the time, we realized that our online engagement, our online footprint wasn't what it could be for that time in history. We were trying to stay connected and we realized, man, if you're not in the building, you don't know what's going on. We weren't speaking enough into this sphere. So like very mature, ready, capable, growing leaders, we came back and said, we have identified a problem that we need to be working on as a church. And Bishop and Pastor Kathy said to us, great, you guys can go ahead and fix that now. You can now consider yourselves in charge of all online engagement. And we went, oh, that's not exactly 
what we had in mind. And you hear people say, you know, leaders come with solutions. Don't bring a problem that you're not ready to bring the answer to. But it really takes a whole other thing when you have that problem and you say, I found the problem. And they say, great, go fix it. And it's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. They come and they say to him, we've identified a problem. It's getting pretty late in the day. There's a lot of people here. Everyone's going to need to eat. Send them away. And Jesus says, nah, you find some food for 5,000 plus people. And they're like, that's not what we had in mind, Jesus. We were just thinking we could send them away. And he says, no, if you're going to be my disciples, if you're going to be the leaders of this movement, if you're going to stand up and be my people, my proclamation in the earth, I need you to remember that you are the solution. Phil told us last week, I am a solution with skin on, walking around in my community. Show me a problem and I will solve it because I can solve problems. Because disciples of Jesus are people who are walking solutions. And he says to them, you can't send them away. If you send them away, who knows what they're going to eat? Who knows if some of them will find something to eat? Who knows if the stores will even be open still? Who knows what's available out there? And what they have to eat matters. What they take in in this season matters. What they're going to get ready to consume in their life, it matters. It makes a difference what you're feasting on. It makes a difference whose table you're eating from. It makes a difference whose hand you're eating from. And so Jesus said, I'm not willing to just send them away and leave it to chance and find out and hope that they find food that's good enough and hope that they find food that's nourishing and hope that they find something to eat. No, if they're here, we're not going to send them away. We're going to find a solution. And he's reminding them and he's teaching them that when I send you out, don't send people away and hope they find it. Remember that you are the solution. And then he's teaching them to be bringers. Not to be those who say we don't have anything, but to be those who say I'll bring what I have. Let me bring what I have to Jesus. Because it was easy for them to say, there's a lot of people here and there's not anything here, but he points out to them, tell me what you do have. Stop telling me what you don't have. Stop telling me why you can't step up. Stop telling me why you can't be part of what's going on. Stop telling me why you can't participate in this season. How if you just had a little bit more than you would donate to something or you would actually be a consistent giver. How if you actually had that house, then you would start a life group and invite people in. If you actually had that spouse, then you would be a participant in this. Or if you didn't have your spouse, then you would be able to participate in this. Whatever season you're in, you have an excuse for why you can't be part of what God's calling you to. Or why will you, what you have in your hand is not enough or how why the thing that he's calling you to seems bigger than what he's already put in your hand but Jesus said I don't care about what you think you don't have in your hand stop telling me what you don't have be a bringer and bring to me what you do have and I have to think about the widow of Zarephath who when the prophet came to her she said I don't have anything to eat well, but a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And it's so little, I was just going to make this and then go ahead and die. And the prophet said what Jesus says, that'll work. 
I'll take what little you have and I'll make that work. I'll take what little you can bring. Whatever is in your hand is enough for the thing that's in front of you. Whatever you have is enough for the thing God's calling you to. If it only looks like a seed, it's enough of a seed to plant it into the ground and to let go of it and to hand it over to Jesus and say, can't you turn it into something? If it's only a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, it's enough to make a little bit of bread and hand it over to the prophet and say, watch out and find out if your barrels don't ever run dry through all the midst of this famine. So if you're in the middle of a famine or if you're in the middle of a desolate place, which is where it says this crowd was, they went way out, away. And it seemed like there was nothing around. Jesus says, even in the midst of your desolate place and even in the midst of your famine season, even in the midst of your in-between time when you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, even in the midst of a season when you feel like you don't have enough hours or you don't have enough finances or you don't have enough space or you don't have enough capacity, no matter what you think you don't have enough of, get your eyes off of what you need more of and get your eyes onto what is there already. And bring it to Jesus because the disciples bring him two loaves two fish and five loaves and he feeds more than 5,000 people with it most scholars think that a low-end estimate is that there were probably 10,000 people there that there could have been up to 25,000 people in that crowd with five loaves and two fish Jesus takes it and he breaks it. Well, he thanks God for it and he breaks it and he uses the disciples to begin to distribute it all throughout the people. And he's giving them a picture. He's giving them a template of what he's getting ready to ask them to do. He's showing them something about what it's going to be like when he's gone because he says, yeah, there's this huge crowd. But before you start breaking it up and before you start dispersing it and before you start sending it out, I need you to put the people into smaller groups. I need you to break them down a little bit because there are some things that can happen in the crowd like Jesus can perform healing and he can do teaching in the face of the big crowd, but there are some things that, that you have to be broken down into the smaller groups for. And so when I leave this place, God, Jesus is teaching them, I need you to break them down. And the disciples start breaking them down into smaller groups, into like life groups, into little huddles, into volunteer teams, where they're not just facing Jesus for shoulder to shoulder, but they're turned towards one another. And he says, gather them up like that and get them together in smaller groups because there's something that happens in the big group, but there's something that happens in the small group too. And when you turn them and you place them in the small group, they can't help but start talking about what they just heard in the teaching. And when they start talking about what they just heard in the teaching, they'll start applying it to what's happening in their own life. Don't you know while they were sitting and while they were waiting, while they were sitting and while they were eating, they started saying, hey, when Jesus did this, it made me think about this in my life. Hey, when Jesus said this, I started thinking about my cousin and how I was going to tell her how this applies to her situation. When Jesus did this, it just stirred something in me and it made me think about the goodness of God. And someone else in the group said, isn't he an awesome God? Because there's something that happens in the smaller group that can't happen in the big group. 
And there's something that happens in the big group that can't happen in the smaller group. It's why he's called them to both and he's trying to give them a picture and say, when I leave, there's some things I need for you to set in place. I need you to gather people together in the city-sized churches. And I need you to teach them how to gather together in community, to gather around the food and to sit and talk and, to, and encourage one another in their fellowship and in their lives and to apply what they heard to their day to day. And he's teaching them what it looks like to live in abundance. He said, I remember how you brought me that small thing. Remember how you brought me what seemed like just a little bit, what seemed like hardly anything at all. Let me show you how I can take that and I can make it more than enough. How I make it an abundance. I love a God who says, I'm not just going to provide enough for you. It doesn't say they got enough that they had enough strength to get home. It says that they all ate enough that they were satisfied. Some translations say that they were full. That they were full from what they ate at the hand of Jesus. And he teaches them how to be full and not just to be satisfied and not just to be full, but to have more than enough. To have 12 baskets left over. I don't know who told you that we serve a God of the little, that we serve a God of the nothing, that we serve a God of the shoestring barely getting by. We serve a God of abundance. We serve a God who says, I'm going to take it and I'm going to break it and I'm going to spread it out. And just to show how big I am, just to show how good I am, just to show how awesome I am, there's going to be 12 baskets left over for no reason except to show that I am a God of abundance, of more than enough. And he's reminding them. That even in their desolate place, when it seems like there's nothing, when it seems like there's hardly anything, that myth, that the scarcity is a myth. That you can look around and say, there's nothing around me right now, and I'm in a scarce place. And Jesus says, that's just a lie that the enemy's telling you. If I'm with you in the midst of your desolate place, there is abundance in the midst of your desolate place. Because we serve a God of abundance. And he was getting ready to send them out to be his disciples. And he wanted to remind them. And he wanted to teach them that I'm not a God of scarcity. I'm not a God of the small place. I'm a God of abundance. And so he finds Peter in his broken place, in his desolate place in his personal life. And he says, Peter, I want to remind you that I'm the God of abundance. I'm the God who taught you how. I'm the God who called you to feed my sheep and showed you how to feed my sheep. And now is your time to go and to feed my sheep. Because before Jesus calls Peter to breakfast on the beach, Peter has been fishing all night and nothing has shown up for him. But when Jesus shows up for him, he says, give it one more go. And Peter's baskets, his nets are so filled to the rim that he can barely pull them into the boat. Because even when it looks like it's empty, even when it looks like it's been overfished, even when it looks like it's been overworked, even when it looks like it's the end of the road, even when you look like your energy's run out, even when it looks like your bank account's not keeping up with you, even when it looks like the books are too much in the black, even when it looks like you're at the end of your line, if Jesus is in the place with you, there's abundance available to you. 
And he starts reminding Peter of it. And he says, this is the time to go and to feed my sheep. And the thing that I really uh, enjoy about the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is that there's three different people in the story or three different positions in the story. You have Jesus, who's the miracle worker. He's the one who takes what seems like hardly anything and he takes it and he distributes it and he makes it into abundance. And he says, I'm not willing for anyone to go hungry in my presence. And you have the disciples who get to be the distributors of that miracle. Because when Jesus breaks it, he gives it to them and he says, now take it out and feed my people with it. And they begin to distribute that miracle. They get to participate in the process of what it means to be part of the miracle working God. And they get to be close to the action and they get to see what's happening. And there's the crowd who gets to receive of the miracle of Jesus. They receive what has happened. They receive the outworking of his miracles. And I'm grateful that we serve a God that says, if you showed up, if you're in my presence, if you're around, you don't ever have to make a move to be a participant. You get to receive of my hand and of my goodness simply because I'm good. And I want you to know that if you showed up here today, if you're part of the crowd, if you're connecting with the crowd, you can receive of the goodness of God simply because you're here. Simply because he's good. Simply because he's an awesome, worthy, holy God. But you know, there's one more person in the story. There's a boy. John is the only one who tells us where the loaves and the fish come from. But John tells us that there's a boy who says, I have a small lunch with me today and I'm willing to bring it. And I think about this boy and I think, man, he must have been a kid with such vision, with such inspiration. And I start praying for our teens that we would have youth that rise up with vision that see who Jesus is and say, let me bring what I have and give it to his hands. There was something in this kid that said, I've been sitting here all day and I've been watching what's going on and I saw how you healed that person over there and I heard what you were speaking, Jesus. And you know what? I have this meal and I'm pretty hungry too and it looks like there's not a lot going on, but I just wondered if I let it go and if I brought it into your hands, what would happen? And I wanna see. And I have to think in a crowd that big, he wasn't the only one who had a snack packed away. But he's the only one who said, I'm willing to give up my snack and I'm willing to see what Jesus does with it. I'm willing to bring my, my, my small, my little thing and see what happens. And what happened is he moved himself from the crowd who received to the disciples who were part of distributing the miracle of Jesus. He got his name written in scripture. He got to, to live on. He got to be a participant in what was happening. And yeah, he could have stayed and received and he could have stayed and hidden with his small thing, but there was something in this boy that said, I think there's more. I think there's more than just sitting and receiving. 
I think there's more that could happen than just being a part of the crowd, than just showing up, than just taking from his hand. I think that those guys up there are part of something that I'm not part of and I want to move myself from only being a recipient to being a participant as well. And he moved into that place. There's something about when you watch sports, it's really fun to be part of the crowd and to cheer on the team that's playing and to to cheer when they score and to boo when the refs make a bad call, but nobody in the game is having more fun than the people on the field. Than the people running the plays, than the people scoring the goals, than the people making the shots. No one is having more fun than the people who are involved in what's happening. And that day, this boy said, I am going to get involved in what's happening. And I believe that today is a day for so many to say, you know what? I've been part of the crowd. I've seen what Jesus can do. My heart is connected to him. I'm leaned in in terms of my love for him. But today is my day to say, I'm going to make a commitment to moving from just a receiver to a participant. I have something small to bring and I want to find out what happens if I let go of that thing and if I trust Jesus with that thing. All across this room, I want to ask you to stand up right where you are. We're going to pray together. And we're going to lean in. If that's you, I want to invite you in whatever way helps you connect by lifting a hand, by raising a hand in surrender to say, God, I am surrendering this thing to you. And I am committing to moving from from a viewer to a participant, to just a receiver, to a participant in what you are doing today in this place. I'm going to do it by committing to showing up regularly. I'm not just going to waffle in and out. I'm going to be here and I'm going to be part of what's happening. I'm going to sign up for a life group. I'm going to sign up for a volunteer team. I'm going to commit to not just giving sometimes, but giving regularly and consistently. I want to move God and say, I have just a little bit, but I think if I bring it to you, you can do something with it. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing, um, if we can switch, I wanna sing Into the River, which it's not like a prayer song, the faster one, yep. (laughs) Jackie just looked at me like, are you sure? But I wanna sing this song because it says, I come alive in the river. And it's not really on the like list of prayer songs, but when you step into what God is doing, something is gonna come alive in your life. Something is gonna start to stir in you in a new way. New passions, new purpose are gonna come alive in you. So Father God, I thank you for your people today. I thank you that you have given us purpose. I thank you that you've given us calling. And I thank you that you've taught us, you've shown us, you've walked us in your ways. And that now is the time to become distributors, God, of your gospel, to become distributors of the things that you have placed in our hands. So I ask for a new confidence in this season. I ask for a new trust in this season that we would step into what you are doing. And I declare over their lives that every person who is stepping into a discipleship path today, God, that they would come alive in you, that they would come alive in you, Jesus. In your name we pray. We thank you for it. Amen.
I hope that message meant something to you and that it means something in your days to come. Yeah, if this message has blessed you and you want to sow into the ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can do so from wherever you are today. Simply jump on our website at cornerstone.church and you can find the link there so that you can give in whatever way is most convenient to you. And we'll see you back here next time.